our laymen need to go to their pastors. They need to find out what their pastors believe about these current cultural trends, and they need to get themselves in a strong Bible-believing Southern Baptist church, and they need to get themselves elected as a messenger to the Southern Baptist Convention, and they need to come in mass to Nashville, and we need to vote these folks out of office. All right, welcome to a special edition of the Conversations That Matter program. We have today a few guests uh, that are all, the thing that they have in common is they are all Southern Baptists, and they all have um, expressed some concerns about the Southern Baptist Convention from different areas, and we're going to get into that in a minute, kind of the vantage points that everyone here um, is coming from, but uh, they express concerns, and um, some people call that whistleblowing. Um, the, the thing we want to do, and I just want to set the tone here, is we want to inspire laymen, uh, not just them, though, pastors as well, trustees, professors, um, church planners, people who have seen things happen in this convention, and maybe even other conventions like the PCA, who are afraid of speaking out. I want to give you an example of some guys who had backbone, who did speak out, and the Lord has provided for them. They, they're okay. They're all still in one piece. And, and we, we, we need more people to come out and verify some of these things that are happening, because what, yes. what we've seen in the SBC and some other denominations are there are elites and people in high positions saying, Social justice movement isn't happening. People are lying about this. Well, it's not a lie. It is happening. And if we don't do something about it and uh, steward our denominations and our churches well, then um, we can fall prey to some very bad theology. And, uh, and so I am just so thankful to have uh, with me today, we have uh, Dr. Tom Rush, we have um, Dr. Russell Fuller, and we have Forrest Davis. And all of them have made some videos and those are linked in the info section of this video if you want more information about their story. Um, we also had, I should mention, uh, Jacob Johnson was supposed to join us. He made a video which will also be linked in that info section. He had a stomach bug though and wasn't able to come on our chat tonight. Um, but we'll, we'll start out though with uh, Dr. Tom Rush who made the most recent video about Southern Seminary. Uh, Dr. Rush, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Well, John, I'm delighted to be with you, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I've been a Southern Baptist all my life. Uh, I was saved uh, as a child through the witness of my parents, and uh, later on in life, uh, God called me to preach. I pastored uh, for 34 years, been in ministry for 38 years. I'm doing primarily evangelism now. I'm also serving as an interim pastor. And I've had the privilege over the years of my ministry to Southern Baptist to uh, serve in a number of uh, positions uh, within state conventions, uh, the New Mexico Baptist Convention, Georgia Baptist Convention, and I've had several uh, opportunities to serve Southern Baptist uh, as a teller on the Resolutions Committee and as a trustee at the Southeastern for a brief time and, and now serving since 2014 uh, as a trustee at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And it's been my honor and privilege to serve Southern Baptist uh, in those positions. But you're exactly right. We, we do have uh, some problems, and uh, we need our pastors and people in our churches, first of all, uh, to get informed, and then they need to get involved. And we can talk about, you know, how they might do both of those things. Certainly, uh, to pay attention to the links that you are providing uh, for them, it'd be very uh, helpful to them to get the information and to know what's happening. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Rush. Uh, we can talk about that at the end of the video, too, how to get involved. There, there's a network now called the Conservative Baptist Network. There's all kinds of things starting to form. 
Uh, Dr. Russell Fuller, you are a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is the flagship seminary for the denomination. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Russell Fuller, and I taught at Southern Seminary for 22 years. Before that, I taught for two years at Mid-Continent College over near Mayfield, Kentucky. I've been a Southern Baptist for uh, uh, over 40 years. And um, as I, when I came in, it was moving toward the conservative resurgence. And unfortunately today, I think it's moving in a very different direction. And in academia, in many of these seminaries today, you'll have everything from, um, you know, uh, postmodernism to uh, woke theology to even, let's say, old-fashioned liberalism, like the belief that the Old Testament teaches mythology, things of this nature. So there's many problems now in our seminaries. And uh, so, yeah, I came and uh, spoke out about it. And uh, again, I, I taught for 22 years. I'm not there anymore, but uh, I was able to teach for 22 years. And again, I was very appreciative of that uh, opportunity. But now I'm teaching online uh, theology classroom is what I called it. Um, and I got that from a, a very dear friend uh, gave me that uh, idea. I won't tell you who right now, but, uh, um, but anyway, I'm teaching uh, theology. It was Russell classroom. Moore, right? Russell Moore told you to do it. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I think it was a guy named John Harris, but we oh, were, okay. was the one who gave me the idea about uh, the title theology classroom. And I appreciate it, John, very much. All right. Thank you, Dr. Fuller. And uh, we also have Forrest uh, Davis. Now, Forrest, I know you're not quite as seasoned you're, uh, as you were a student at Southwestern. Uh, why don't you just briefly tell us kind of um, what prompted you to go to seminary and then just a little bit of what you saw there. All right. Uh, well, thank you for having me, John. Uh, my name is Forrest Davis. Uh, I have always been around the Dallas area. I grew up in an unbelieving household. Uh, for 22 years of my life, I did not attend church. And after I finished undergrad, I uh, was looking for something that, that there was many sins in my life that were just uh, very apparent. And uh, through the Lord's uh, uh, gracious gifting, he called me to salvation when I was 22. And I started attending a megachurch in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, First Baptist Dallas, that has many ties to Southwestern. And uh, I was, for the first two years or so I was there in my early to mid-20s, I started growing, growing, growing in the faith, going to many Bible studies, having more hunger, deep hunger for the Word, while I was also employed as an accountant uh, in my early uh, adult life after uh, undergrad. I felt the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit that I needed to step out, be equipped for the ministry. I felt called to the ministry. I uh, started looking at seminaries in 2018. And uh, through the two seminaries I was looking at, I disagreed very much with Dallas Theological Seminary. I felt Southwestern was the better fit in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I started attending, and the first, first month of my classes was the month that Paige Patterson was ousted. So I came in at that really rough transition time, and I have uh, documents from prior, before I was there, through testimonies of, of witnesses or or professors of what it was like during the Patterson administration. And then I saw the transition of the interim of Dr. Jeffrey Bingham as interim president. And then I obviously was there when Dr. Greenway took over in February of 2019 as the new president. And I saw an usher of wokeness, of, um, of standpoint epistemology, of critical race theory, 
that from time to time was there, at least beneath the scenes, but came very apparent uh, during the Greenway administration to the fact that this January, after completing over half the MDiv, I could not justify spending tuition and uh, keep working at, at that. So I felt I must uh, leave Southwestern and I left the SBC as well. I currently go to church that's no longer affiliated with the SBC uh, because I feel as if uh, I could no longer uh, submit myself to those heresies and false teachings, but I want to shine the light on the truth. And to any seminary students or anybody involved in the seminary, anybody in the SBC, to understand from a student perspective what I saw and what needs to be said. Well, I appreciate it, Forrest. I know that takes a lot of bravery uh, being in those shoes myself a few years ago. Um, I want to sort of set the tone by starting off with you, Dr. Rush. Um, a question uh, that I think is probably going through a lot of people's minds as they hear what you're saying, and maybe even if they watch the videos linked in the info section, um, you're the latest whistleblower, for lack of a better term, to come out publicly. And my question is, what motivated you to shine a light on some of the corruption at Southern Seminary? John, that's a very important question. And, uh, you know, it, it breaks my heart that a young man like Forrest has felt like he had to leave one of our seminaries, even leave our denomination. And, and his story is not alone. There's so many like that. Uh, and I went to Southern as a trustee. Uh, not with the idea that my job was to protect Southern, but that I was elected by the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and my job was to protect the Southern Baptist Convention's interest and literally ownership of Southern Seminary. And uh, so I, I began to hear some, some rumblings of things uh, being taught in the classroom, and I felt like it, as a trustee that I needed to become informed, that, that I needed to know whether these uh, accusations, uh, ideas were actually true or not. But, but the thing that, that really spurred me uh, was uh, when I attended the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham in 2019. And of course, that's where uh, we passed uh, Resolution 9, which uh, certainly supports critical race theory and intersectionality. Uh, and uh, I, I was uh, standing at a microphone, I was going to attempt uh, to try to table the motion. I certainly felt like that the convention needed more time. I didn't feel like that the people in the building understood what CRT was. They didn't even, they couldn't define it. If you ask them to define it, I think the majority of them there would know, but they were following what they were uh, directed to do by the leadership. And one of the things that concerned me is it appeared at least based on the individual who was chairman uh, of the resolutions committee, that the resolution, it almost seemed like, came right out of Southern Seminary. Well then, uh, so, so I'm thinking, well, if, if uh, the president of Southern Seminary is opposed to CRT, it would certainly be nice if he would say so. Well, he did. The problem was he did so the day after. Uh, on Thursday, after the convention was over, he came out on his podcast, uh, his uh, briefing program, uh, and stated that he was opposed to critical race theory, that, that he felt there were some problems with Resolution 9, uh, and uh, that we were not going to teach CRT at Southern Seminary. Well, I wanted to find out if that was true or not. And so that was uh, really the thing uh, that motivated me to start looking into it. And so as I uh, begin to uh, go through that process, uh, I've discovered uh, some class notes from Dr. Jarvis Williams. And I also noted that uh, 
Curtis Woods, who was the chairman of the resolutions committee, had been at least, a, I think, uh, an adjunct professor uh, at Southern. And uh, certainly it seemed uh, from uh, his uh, leadership of the resolutions committee that he was uh, at least friendly to CRT philosophy. Um, and, and then on top of that, I got a call from uh, a professor who heard that I might be looking into this and he wanted to meet with me, John, privately and uh, off campus. And, and I thought that was a little odd, but I, I agreed to do so. And uh, when I asked him why he wanted to meet that way, he said, well, I don't want to be seen talking to a trustee. I could get fired. <laughs> wow. I, I don't want to be a trustee at a seminary where professors are afraid to talk to me. I, I want to know what, what, what they think. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, he shared uh, his concerns with me. And uh, one of the suggestions that I had already made uh, to Dr. Moeller was, uh, you know, if we're not uh, teaching CRT, uh, it seems like it'd be a good idea if maybe the seminary embraced the Dallas statement, the statement on social justice. Um, and uh, he was a little defensive about that. Uh, he said that he felt like that the statement wasn't well vetted. Uh, and uh, one of the things that this particular professor, who I, I will not call by name because I promised him his confidence, one of the things that he said to me is that it was his understanding and his, the way he interpreted what he had been told was, is that no professor at Southern would be allowed to sign the statement on social justice. Now, I asked Dr. Moeller about that directly. And uh, he said, well, now we don't want our professor signing anything but our official documents, which would be the abstract in the Baptist faith and message. Well, that's wonderful. I, and I understand that to a degree. Um, but if we're against CRT and if we're not teaching CRT, with the uh, unbelievably capable faculty that we have from top to bottom in terms of credentials and education, one would think that there would be some articles, um, perhaps even a book, something that would be written, maybe a podcast would be done that would expose the dangers of CRT and intersectionality and why we shouldn't be teaching it. Well, I come to find out that we did have uh, one professor at Southern who did sign uh, the statement on social justice, and he's on this podcast with us. And I'm uh, grateful for uh, Dr. Fuller's courage to sign that document, even though there was an indication that there could be repercussions. And we all know there were repercussions. But, but in short, John, that's, that's what motivated me uh, to start looking into it. And when I did, I, I really didn't like the information I found. And that's what uh, ultimately led me to do the video. Now, I do want to say I did everything that I could within the trustee system process. I've spent hours on the phone uh, with Dr. Moeller. Uh, we've texted, we've emailed. Uh, I have appealed to him uh, as a brother in Christ. I, I, you know, we, we've, and we've had to come to agree to disagree. And, and I will say I have great love and respect for Dr. Moeller, but we're on the opposite side of this CRT thing. And quite frankly, CRT is being taught at Southern, and it, it really is shameful. Yeah, real quick, uh, Dr. Rush, I know that um, one of the things that I, I've heard quite often is if there's public issues, sin, error, you got to go to that person in private. I don't know where that comes from in scripture, but it's, it seems to be something in the Southern Baptist culture for some reason. And you have gone to Dr. Moeller, as you just stated. Has Dr. Moeller given you any feedback about the video you did uh, last week, which... Uh, has now thousands of views. Um, has, has he said anything to you? Uh, if you can disclose. 
No, no, he has he hasn't said anything to me. Okay. Um, you know, John recently when when he was uh, being interviewed by Baptist Press and asked questions about his desire to be president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, one of the things that he said was, is that, you know, we don't need to be, you know, kind of blasting at each other on social media. We just need to get in the room together. I've been in the room for six years and uh, it, it hasn't done a whole lot of room. I've been in the room with him privately uh, in the sense of one-on-one -on -one conversation when I've been at trustee meetings. And of course, since the pandemic, all of our uh, meetings have had to be held in, in the same way that, way that we're doing this podcast by Zoom. Uh, but he and I have had private conversations. We, we have FaceTimed. We have talked on the phone. And so uh, I think there's a misconception about uh, the application uh, of church discipline to uh, issues of public theology or public statements that have been made. But I certainly think that in within the context of the local church, when you have an issue with a brother, the first step in church discipline is to go to that brother. Uh, when someone has uh, publicly spoken, whether it was on television or through published material or through their podcast, uh, I think that, the, that, that what they have said uh, is certainly, certainly should be open to scrutiny and question. Uh, nonetheless, I did attempt to speak to uh, Dr. Moeller privately and certainly brought uh, these things to the attention of the Board of Trustees first before going public because I felt like that was the right thing to do. And, and we're glad that you did it. It certainly seems like uh, this was almost like a last resort because you, you went to the president of the institution, you talked to at least one professor, probably more it sounds like, uh, and then you also talked to trustees and, and you couldn't even get a second on getting adopting the Dallas statement or um, trying to get to the ND. Well, they're not NDAs. Those uh, I forget what they call those separation, separation and release agreement. Right. Right. You couldn't get those ended. Um, and so, you know, th this is one of the things that I think has uh, disturbed some Southern Baptists is why in the world is, is it so hard to get any movement to even get a reaction? And, um, you know, I want to ask you, Dr. Fuller, because you've also been in those rooms as well with Dr. Moeller and some of the trustees. I mean, is, was this your experience as well, is that you tried to go through all the quote-unquote proper channels and, and just kept meeting roadblocks? That's correct. Um, we, we, I would usually speak out in what was called full professor's meetings. <clears throat> that was the channel that I could officially speak out. And in those meetings, we would put up professors that um, I didn't think were qualified to really be on the campus, much less get a promotion by full professor or something like this. And there was a professor in particular, uh, Jonathan Pennington, a New Testament professor who's pushing postmodernism. And I spoke out against it and many others did. And, and as I said uh, in the videos, almost 50% of the faculty voted against him. But in that meeting, there were some other side discussions that sort of went on, but it, was all, it, was, it wasn't like we were having private discussions within that meeting, but other people were bringing up other issues that they were concerned about. And that was the first time I heard about Matt Hall and the teaching of critical race theory and these things. And it shocked me because I didn't know anything about it. And um, this was probably about four years ago. And so I went to um, Mark Coppinger, one of the professors, 
And he mentioned, you ought to see these videos. They're very radical. And he was saying this right in front of Dr. Moeller. And I could tell Dr. Moeller didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. And after the meeting, I went up to Coppinger, Dr. Coppinger, and said, well, what are these videos? What are we talking about here? And he sent me the links to these videos. And one of them you can see today on YouTube. The other one was on Southern Seminary's website, and it's been purged, so you can't see that now. At least to none of my knowledge, it's not, it's not out there for public consumption, but it was there. And uh, I was shocked. I was very shocked about this. And, um, and so at that meeting, I was uh, quite troubled. So next year at the same meeting, uh, again, some issues came up. And at the very end, uh, again, uh, some issues were brought up. And I didn't say anything because it was right at the end of the meeting. And that bothered me, and it bothered me greatly. And I was having trouble sleeping at night, knowing I should have said something. Mueller goes, does anybody believe Pennington is outside the abstract? And I thought, I've said that to the dean a hundred times, okay? And the provost, I said it to him many times that I thought Jonathan Pennington was outside the abstract. But it was at the very end of that meeting, and I know we had to go into another meeting, and I didn't say anything, and that's what bothered me. And that led me to write a letter. Uh, and again, I got, uh, as it were, I, I went to the dean, and he says, do you have any concerns? And I said, yes, I do. I said, the postmodernism, I have a problem with that. And then I also have a problem with uh, critical race theory, social justice that's being taught, and I named names. Uh, I mentioned uh, Jarvis Williams, I mentioned Matt Hall, and I mentioned Curtis Woods. And you should have seen the look of fear on the dean's face when I said that, because it was almost like he was, it, the look on his face was like, Fuller, you're really asking for it. You're touching the third rail when you get on this. I could tell by the look on his face. The look was utter terror that I brought that up. Because I mean, look, Matt Hall was, everybody knew he was the heir apparent. He, Moeller is uh, really grooming him to be his heir apparent. That's what it looks like to, uh, to us as faculty members. And here you are coming out against basically the number two man at the Southern Seminary and others. And again, you're touching that third rail. And, uh, and I, I said, well, what should I do? And I said, I, I think I should write Moeller. And, and the dean says, yeah, but just be careful how you say it. And I said, okay. So I wrote Moeller and he was absolutely furious. I was called in to... Uh, Randy Stinson's office, Randy told me, Mueller was so upset, he took a picture of the letter you sent him, then he called me up on Saturday night, and I, th I think he pretty well let Randy have it for about a half hour or so, so Randy wasn't in a good mood when he saw me, and he and your Herschel York, who was the dean later, it wasn't the dean that gave me the permission, and uh, they were like, you went outside the uh, channels, you didn't do it right, and blah, 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 and of course, the prior dean, Greg Wills, had certainly given me permission, and I told them that, but that didn't do any good. They had to, they had to come after me for some reason. Right. And then for that, basically for the next two years, I lived under constant threat of being fired, okay? I got official letter of reprimand, and again, constantly I was being threatened with being terminated. Um, you know, was I afraid? You betcha I was afraid. And then later when I gave the speech against Matt Hall in front of, again, the full professors and Al Mohler, was I afraid? You betcha. I was definitely afraid. But I tell you what, I couldn't sleep at night. 
And um, I had to say something. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay quiet and feel like I'm being faithful to the Lord. I would honestly feel that I love my job, my position, you know, my reputation more than I love the Lord if I didn't speak up and say something. Those students, they're being corrupted. And, and I, can't, I, I can't live with myself being quiet on, on something like this. And so I spoke up knowing what would happen. Let me tell you about my signing the uh, abstract, I mean, the, the uh, social justice statement just very quickly. I wanted to sign it immediately. But again, I went to a friend uh, who's another faculty member. And I said, hey, here's what I want to do. And he said to me, don't do it yet. There's two or three other faculty members who would like to sign it as well. If we all sign it together, it would look better. I said, okay. And I kept waiting. And I'd go to this particular faculty member about every month and say, okay, are y'all ready? I'm ready to sign this thing. And uh, no, no, just hang on. There's still things going on. Well, finally, when Matt Hall was put up, I, t I told this one gentleman, I said, listen, I've got to do it now. If I sign after this meeting, they're all going to say, you did it just to get back at Moeller. And so I signed it right before I walked into the meeting to give that speech against Matt Hall. Um, and matter of fact, it was midway through the speech, I stopped my speech, looked up, because I was scared to death. <laughs> I looked up and I said, for this reason, uh, I signed the statement of social justice before I came in, in here this morning. And I tell you, I'd, I'd get this from the administration from here on. Well, we didn't mind that you signed it, but we didn't like the way you signed it. We didn't like the way you did it. Well, they always say that. And as, as, again, as one, another faculty member said, they always get you on style points, you see. And that, that's exactly right. They always get you on style points. When that first came out, Al Mohler addressed that in a faculty meeting, and uh, he was livid over that statement. And he went into a tirade against John MacArthur. He, uh, again, uh, made it be known, not directly you can't sign it in just those words, but when you basically say, if you sign it, you're agreeing with all the racist stuff, you know, and, and comments like that, you knew if you signed it, you were in trouble. And um, so, but the main thing probably that got me fired was going against the woke theology, the, the direction it was going, and uh, especially going against Matt Hall and Jonathan Pennington and the new hire that was bringing in things like, uh, again, uh, mythology in the Old Testament, all these things. And so when the coronavirus hit, it was the perfect uh, crisis. And you don't want to let those things go to waste, by the way. And uh, so that's why I was fired. Well, John, let me let me say something about this from a trustee perspective, if I do. might. Um, th this is very troubling to me as a trustee, and it's why I think my fellow trustees uh, should have a greater concern. Um, uh, what uh, what great courage uh, that Dr. Fuller and Dr. Jim Morick had uh, in standing against the administration. They put their jobs on the line for, for me as a as a trustee to come out and whistleblow. I'm not losing my job. I don't have a job on the line. They can't fire me as a trustee. I was elected by the Southern Baptist Convention. Only the Southern Baptist Convention can remove me as a trustee. So I have great respect for these men. But I, I, I'm really concerned that we see where the background was going with all of this. And then we come out in the spring when the pandemic hits and use that as an excuse to fire people. And then we turn around and hire new people. 
uh, and, and I, all of this doc, all, I documented all of this information. I sent about 15 or 20 pages of information to every trustee. I called the chairman of the board to tell him what my intentions were and uh, to ask uh, him to assist me with that and, and, and essentially to get his permission as the chairman. And, and he and I will say the chairman was very gracious about allowing me to present my motions to the board. Um, and I also uh, copied Dr. Moeller on this. None of this was a surprise. So when, when my video came out, if Dr. Moeller or anyone on the board was surprised, then they just weren't paying attention. Uh, I mean, I was left with no uh, other option. These men were treated disgracefully and shamefully. And uh, quite frankly, the Board of Trustees at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary should be ashamed of themselves. I, on, on that note, which uh, I, I appreciate you not holding back and, and just being honest, I think that's what the pew sitters want right now because they don't know what's going on. We just want honesty. Um, Forrest uh, Davis, from a student perspective, we, we're hearing from a, a trustee who's also an evangelist and a pastor. We're hearing from uh, a professor. Uh, I want to hear from you as a student while we're talking about the, um, you know, basically these uh, 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 channels, proper channels, if you want to call it that, these unspoken rules. Did you feel, uh, Forrest, like you uh, were... I don't know, ostracized or alone or uh, like, like you had to go through these channels that you weren't getting anywhere. What was your experience like when you started to see some of these teachings? Well, I never uh, confronted people in private and all those matters like uh, the ones before have documented. Uh, to me, I consider that Phariseeism. There's uh, nothing in scripture says, as we've documented, that public error desire. Uh, has a private rebuke. It deserves a public rebuke. Uh, so uh, I, I didn't necessarily go through this, those same channels, but I would talk to those, my pastor, the, the churches I was attending there. I was going to other students, sometimes faculty members, but not necessarily caring if it was private or public conversation. But the ostracism mainly is uh, nobody wants to admit what's going on, especially from a student perspective. And I, I say that uh, because, I mean, there's a few students, uh, one in this particular class to Dr. Bingham that was talking about that your whiteness or your maleness or your Americanness hinders your hermeneutic, hinders your Bible interpretation. So you have to bring others of different skin colors or ethnicities in to have a holistic Bible interpretation. That's what Bingham was saying, which is critical race theory, that's social justice, that is, that's false, that, that is false theology, that is heresy. I had a fellow student of mine that was only thinking about baseball and girls, so good for him, well, you know, like, you know, that's, that's some of the student perspective, they don't really care. Others notice what I was noticing, but dare not speak about it, because they're in it for the long haul as an SBC lifer, they want the SBC church, mega church. They want to work their way up. They want to get certain statuses. And the way to do that is to play politics. Uh, that is what I is. Uh, I was going to, um, I mentioned First Baptist Dallas. Another student in that same class, his name is Brent McFadden. And he's on the pastoral staff at First Baptist Dallas. And he completely denied that liberalism in class, and we had the same class. 
and, and he denied standpoint epistemology, denied it was even happening, denied that Bingham was liberal, and he even said that Al Mohler's a stand-up guy, he's conservative, don't worry about him. And so what I'm saying is this guy, he's on pastoral staff, uh, not a big uh, staff member, but still on staff at, at a large megachurch. So he's making probably considerable money in ministry. So one thing I've noticed is from the student perspective, no one bucks the trend because it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's fear necessarily, like a, a professor may be feared of getting fired. It's more of, uh, of uh, wanting to go along to get along. I see a lot when mm -hmm. I was in corporate America of you go along with whoever the boss is and, and to get to prosper. So that's why I saw a lot many students they could care less whatever Paige Patterson said or what Greenway said. They just want what will make them the most money. They're in the ministry for the money. That's why I see a lot of fellow students. Dr. Fuller, as a professor, does what you're hearing ring true? Do you, are you concerned that there are some students, obviously not all of them, but there are some students or a significant portion that are going to bury their head and not challenge these ideas because they, they don't want to rock the boat too much because they're looking to get position or something else? Yes, absolutely. What uh, Forrest just described is very true. I asked some students that were attuned to what was going on at Southern Seminary, and I said, how do you see the breakdown of the student body? And they said, you know, it's probably like 25% are truly, you know, they believe in social justice, critical race theory, the whole works. There's a, probably another 25% over here who's against it and will stand against it. But then you have like the 50% the in the middle. And they're like, some of those people do put their head in the sand. They don't want to know. Others are just kind of, <clears throat> they, they're going to just see which way the winds are blowing, but they're going to be very careful what they're going to do. But of that 25, that's really pro-social justice and so forth. There's a group probably of about 10%. They're highly ambitious people. They want to move up at, at Southern Seminary. You'll see them on social media. They're backing anything that uh, the official line of Southern Seminary comes out. You can see they're bucking for positions. They're bucking for um, advancement in the Southern Baptist Convention. So what Forrest just said is dead on. Absolutely. And by the way, it's going on with the faculty as well. There's some very ambitious faculty members who want to move up, want to be really close to Al Mohler. If there happens to be another job cut, they don't want to be part of that. So again, you'll see them on social media always, you know, whatever Moeller says is correct and so forth. So what you see on the student body, you see the same thing with the faculty. And if I could just say one other th quick thing, John, when I said there's a climate of, of fear at Southern Seminary, I've seen that even with the trustees. The last time I was, uh, when I was there uh, in the fall before I got fired, I was sitting at a trustee uh, banquet, talking to a trustee, and let me tell you, that trustee was afraid to speak up. He knows the problems. He told me the problems. He said he was against critical race theory. He said he knows that, that uh, Curtis Woods, who was one of our fac full faculty members at the time, not full professor, but he was a faculty member, when he helped get uh, Resolution 9 through, he, I said, hey, you know, he's a professor here. Oh, yeah. But he was scared. I've only been a, I've only been a trustee for three years, and I, I can't really speak up and say anything. 
the trustees are just as intimidated as the faculty, just as intimidated as the students. It, it, the culture of fear is throughout, John. Well, I want to ask, wow, that, I mean, that's concerning. May I just add one more thing to sure. my, what my once was too? Uh, going to how my story progressed till I dropped out of Southwestern, this is not just one class. And that's one thing I want to emphasize. It's not just one bag, one right. bad egg. Uh, <laughs> and these other men on this, this call right now, uh, that we're all from different perspectives, different entities. So, so that, that's corroborating this, but there's many professors, Dr. Malcolm Yarnell at Southwestern for many uh, years have been, has been very woke. Uh, he's talked on and on about his white privilege. Uh, last year was tweeting about, we need more ethnic minorities in SDC leadership. And some people would say, well, why don't you start and get rid of your professorship? Uh, but I mean, there's many ones. Uh, Katie McCoy uh, is going with feminism, soft peddling abortion, saying you need to to not condemn abortion. I've had that in one of my videos. You're kidding. She, yeah. Uh, what, go on to the biblical ministry website. And she has written an article saying uh, five things you need to tell a woman who's considering abortion. And none of the five is repent. They're, it's all soft peddling sin and making it's soft pilling feminism is what's that's doing she is one of the big um faculty members in the women's ministry at southwestern and was affirmed by greenway when greenway took over and actually uh, she took over uh, dorothy patterson's chair for uh women's ministries after Paige patterson was ousted and, yeah and actually to get another perspective on this me and uh uh, Dr. Lopez have talked about this in, in the interview we've had, but uh, so she has soft peddled a lot of these feminist issues about believing all women when they're uh, charging a, a rape accusation, things of that nature. If you go read her articles, uh, Madison Grace, a uh, systematic theology professor has said that if you just take scripture as is, take it literally, you're nothing but a fundamentalist and you don't need to be a fundamentalist. So it's pretty much disparaging those that want to, to believe scripture the way that's written. And uh, Dr. Andrew Street, a New Testament professor, uh, was speaking, I took him for New Testament, and he was saying that 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul was saying that he does not permit a woman to teach, but she must uh, uh, be silent in all submission. And it goes forward from there to the rest of the paragraph. Dr. Street, this is what this postmodern relativism said. Oh, it's just, it's too hard to understand. Uh, we don't know. And that's the whole thing about going away from complementarianism and, and embracing egalitarianism. It's like, oh, we, we can't know if, if there can't be women teachers. Like, scripture is too hard to understand that way. So they're always convoluting the clear interpretation of scripture to have wiggle room for all these liberal um, false teachings that they have. So what I, I was just interjecting there, if I may, that it is not just Dr. Bingham. There's multiple professors over multiple years at Southwestern, and I believe this is all cooperating with things that are going on at Southern and Southeastern. Uh, yeah, it's disturbing. Uh, it is. Doc, Dr. Rush, I wanted to ask you, um, is the main problem, and I, there's all sorts of problems, but it sounds to me based on what Dr. Fuller was just saying, um, 
is the issue that there's just men that lack spines. And I'm asking this to you guys because you seem to have spines, but you're all frustrated with classmates, fellow professors, trustees. What's going on and what's the remedy for this if there is one? Well, uh, John, the remedy is to get right with God. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a man of God and you've been called to preach, be bold, be strong, stand up for the truth. Um, I, have, uh, I have talked to a number of our trustees, had similar conversations with fellow trustees as uh, Dr. Fuller's conversation that he had with a trustee that day. And, uh, you know, I want to say, man, grow, grow a backbone here. They have told me, other trustees have said, Tom, we're as concerned about what you're bringing up as you are. And I said, well, would you please second my motions when I bring them? Would you please, uh, you know, stand up and, and be counted? We need to put uh, the administration on notice. It's really difficult when you're the only guy in the room saying that you're concerned about things that are happening. Uh, a simple uh, second, I, I told a couple of guys, I said, even if you're not going to vote for the motion, even if you decide after you hear the evidence that you're not going to vote for the motion, uh, would you at least second it so that we can get it on the floor for discussion and, uh, and point out what the problems are? Uh, sometimes I think, John, that uh, men get, uh, and we have, of course, some ladies on our board as well, but I think some of the men who get elected uh, somehow or another think if they go along to get along, that after they're a trustee, maybe they'll get a job or, or maybe they'll get a discount on their PhD when they get ready to do that. I, I, I really, I can't account for it, but this is not new. Um, I was a student at Southeastern in the eighties and I blew the whistle then. Uh, the, they, were, they were teaching the historical method of, historical critical method of interpretation of the Old Testament. And we challenged it. Uh, and we went through the channels uh, as a, as a stu we started a student group called the Conservative Evangelical Fellowship. Imagine that at a Southern Baptist seminary. That doesn't even make sense. Right. But uh, I'll tell you, most of us were either former law enforcement or former military or men that had, you know, been in business and, and we were raising families that worked for a living. And we were a little harder to intimidate. Uh. Uh, but I think, you know, when listening to what uh, Forrest was saying, uh, I do think students sometimes believe that there may be repercussions against them. Now, I could say at my time at Southeastern, I only had one professor that I felt like gave me a grade that I did not deserve, sort of as a, a punishment for being a conservative in the classroom. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of pressure uh, if you held a conservative viewpoint in the classroom. Uh, what, what I would love to see happen, I, I, have, I'm, I am trying to collect, since my videos come out, I've heard from several students, either students that are at Southern now or were there, and they've left for similar reasons to what Forrest expressed. I would really love for them to send me an email and describe their student experience. Uh, Dr. Fuller, I would love to, to have other professors who uh, maybe haven't lost their job yet, but you might know are sympathetic to the position that I'm taking on the board. I'd love to hear from them. I'd like to have a file in my hand, a stack, if you will, of, of emails or letters uh, from students, perhaps uh, other professors uh, that can document this. What's your email so people watching this can send uh, their stories? Oh, absolutely. My email is Tom at terush.com, as in Thomas Edward, terush.com. And uh, I would be happy 
uh, to receive uh, that information. And uh, it would it would be it would be helpful to me. I mean, we we're what we're in a we're in a position where we've got to we've got to build a case. Uh, and, and when it became apparent that I wasn't going to get anywhere within the board, that's why I felt we needed to go public. Um, and uh, maybe we can talk about that more as we, we progress on here about what we need our Southern Baptist pastors and people to do. Well, I think, that, I think we're there, uh, honestly, at this point. Um, what would you suggest? And I'd like to hear uh, Dr. Fuller and Forrest chime in. Uh, what can laymen do? What can pastors do? And then what can those working for entities do? Well, the first thing that they have to do, John, is get informed. Uh, contact me. Contact Dr. Fuller. Contact Forrest. Uh, go to our, our, our websites. Look at our videos. Go, they, they need to go to your site where you have linked uh, all of this uh, uh, documented information, and they need to begin to inform themselves. Look, this is not happening in a vacuum. It, it, the, the information is out there. The podcast where Jarvis Williams and Matt Hall are pushing critical race theory can be seen online by anybody. Um, and the, the ones that Forrest is referring to from Southwestern, those things can be seen by anyone. And so the, the first thing they've got to do is they've got to get themselves informed. And then, the, the, uh, you know, Dr. Moeller recently said we need to get in the room. And I've, I've made the comment, uh, getting in the room doesn't do any good. But I'm, I'm just going to be straightforward. Dr. Moeller is incredibly smart. We all know that. I mean, I, I don't know. I told Dr. Moeller one time, this was, it was a little tongue-in-cheek, but I said, Dr. Moeller, you've got more brains in your pinky finger than I have in my entire body. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, he is a very intelligent man. Uh, and I think that, that uh, Dr. Moeller believes that if we get in the room together, he's going to be able to convince us that he's right and we're wrong. The problem is we've got facts on our side, and the truth is the truth, regardless of your intellectual prowess. I mentioned this in my video. I'll say it again. There's a bit of arrogance in academia and the elites that are running our, uh, you know, convention right now. So uh, the second thing that is absolutely critical is uh, I understand, you know, uh, men like Forrest who have decided that, it, hey, it's time to opt out. I've got to no go a different direction. I'm not willing to give up. We won this battle before. We won the conservative resurgence, which was for the inerrancy of Scripture. We have a battle now for the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, and so uh, our laymen need to go to their pastors. They need to find out what their pastors believe about these current cultural trends, and they need to get themselves in a strong Bible-believing Southern Baptist Church, and they need to get themselves elected as a messenger to the Southern Baptist Convention, and they need to come in mass to Nashville, and we need to vote these folks out of office. We need to vote down Resolution 9, uh, and there's, there, that's, that's in progress. And, and I can't say who, but I can say that I am confident uh, at this particular juncture, that we are going to have a very viable candidate to run for president of the Southern Baptist Convention against Dr. Moeller. And uh, the, the word will come out about that when he's ready to uh, announce. Uh, I've, been, I've been asked by a number of people if I would, if I would run for president. And uh, well, I suppose I would, but I don't believe the time's right for me. I think we're going to have an electable, viable candidate that can help us turn this thing yeah. around. And I, I heard Mueller and, you know, J.D. Greer and all that, they're getting some Dominion voting machines to make sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
Sorry. I couldn't help that one. Um, oh, that's good, John. Uh, on that on that note, Dr. Fuller, uh, you know, what we're talking about, it sounds almost like we're talking about either the mob or the deep state, not a Christian denomination, which is uh, shocking. It, it's I've just been, I mean, now not much shocks me, but when I first started encountering these things, I mean, right. to the layman that's hearing this for the first time, that is just you can't be serious, right? We, we're giving our money to this. Um, how do you break through that, uh, Dr. Fuller? How do you, um, someone who is just having a hard time with this, how do you motivate them to get involved and to shine the light on, on this issue? Yeah, it, it's very difficult sometimes because people, when you tell them the facts, they're, they're in denial and then they'll, they can watch the videos and some people will see the facts when they see the videos. So what Tom was saying, hey, look, you can go online, you can see the videos and different things, what's going on. You can also, you know, if you just do a little bit of research, you'll find people like Will McCraney, who's mm -hmm. talking about, um, you know, we need uh, forensic in audits. Yes, we need forensic audits of our agencies. And I'll tell you what, I think we really do. And not just a couple of agencies, but every agency needs a forensic audit. And again, not just financially, but also what they're teaching, what they're believing at these institutions. We need, as it were, a, a forensic audit of that as well. Um, but I think if the laymen find out where their money is going to, and will educate themselves, and, and not only what it's going to in the Southern Baptist Convention, but also in the state, con some of the state conventions like Kentucky, where I'm at right now. You know, if you see s some of the money where it's going in the KBC, some of the people, like for instance, Curtis Woods was a uh, member. Uh, I mean, he was employed by the KBC for years. They knew he was behind, one of the guys behind Resolution 9. And when he, you know, voluntarily left Southern Seminary, they hired him right back. He's now at a large uh, church in uh, Elizabethtown. And I noticed where Adam Greenway uh, came out congratulating him on this, you see. And when you, when you, when you uh, compare it to the uh, mafia, <laughs> there's, there's some truth to that, John. I hate to say it. Yeah, and but, Jacob, but the, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, but the people in the pews have got to understand where their money's going to. Right. They really want to support this kind of thing. I don't think so. So I look at people like, Tom Rush, Will McRaney, these are the guys we need to put in as people like them, as the next president who are going to see the problems and, and get the job done. And uh, Forrest brought up something real good. I just want to say something about what Forrest said. You know, it's not just critical race theory and social justice. When you see that, let me tell you, there's all kinds of problems. And Forrest went through a list of things. It's far more than just one issue here. It is, I'll use one of their terms, systemic. It, the, the, the whole, it, it, if, we, if we don't do something soon, the whole core is going to be rotten, okay? Right, yeah, because you have the egalitarianism, uh, yeah. you have the soft peddling of homosexuality and other sexual deviancies, and, and, and then it's just a free-for-all. I mean, if you, you can just make the scripture uh, an origami. Uh, Forrest, when you were at Southwestern, uh, I know, you know, when I was at Southeastern, there's one guy I can point to that I can look back at and say, he was a fellow student and he was going in the woke direction and the Lord helped me kind of pull him out of it because I, and I didn't have anyone at that time. I mean, this was before MLK 50, before the Dallas statement. And I remember saying, 
you know, what we're being taught feels a lot like Marxism. <laughs> I didn't really know what else to say. I was just like, this reminds me of secular college. It's Marxism. And, uh, and we had some productive conversations, but I can't say, I can't point to any other student. Um, most, and I wasn't that close, but, but a lot of the students that I did try to kind of nudge in that direction, you know, it's kind of like drawing the proverbial ix this fish. You're trying to kind of like drop the hint, Hey, I'm a conservative in like creative ways. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of luck with other students. Were you, Forrest, able to, uh, and do you have any advice about talking to students? Were you able to communicate with students, um, help them? What advice do you have for students trying to do that? Well, first of all, and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but get your head out of the sand. And what I mean by that is uh, it, it's the easy thing to do to ignore this and to, to just let it roll off your back and not get involved. But that is not an option, definitely not an option. And um, I was speaking to a former Southwestern student. He got an MTS recently, and I've known him. He was a fellow uh, member in the single adults ministry at First Baptist House with, with myself. And he knows the same things that's going on. Yet, and I've documented, I've screenshotted, I've sent him multiple things. And he says, thanks for the info. I'm just left at that. So uh, that is, and I, I don't know if that's the response when you were a fellow student going through the same things and you were trying to gather a coalition to of fellow students or peers, but um, many that I've talked to, and that has uh, left me to where I've took directions where I have uh, of leaving Southwestern and my position at SBC right now as well. I, I don't see uh, that bright of a future because uh, many of these professors that I've named by name need to repent. This is intentional false doctrine and heresies that are being taught to push the SDC leftward. And many of these fellow students are willfully going along with it. Uh, and um, I've tried to, you know, snap the fingers and say, hey, let's wake up, let's go forward. And uh, many of my fellow Southwesterners but will not come alongside me. And I have tried to get other people to whistleblower. I'm the only one from Southwestern that I know of yeah. that, that is coming forward. So I'd say all that to say, um, and, and I would challenge, uh, uh, not in a discouraging way, but try to encourage is understand the, the gravity and the seriousness of this, of, of heresy sends you to eternal damnation. And it, you lead your flocks astray. If you want to be a future elder shepherd of a church. If you're 20-something and you may be married, maybe not, but maybe not that far in your career, if you're not willing to risk it all for truth now, how will you when you're 45, when you're 50, mm, good when point. you have children and a mortgage and things like that? It doesn't get easier. It's, it's not like uh, you know Dr. Fuller or, or Tom Rush. It's not like they've had an easy time you know, blowing the whistle when there's more to lose. If you're not willing to blow the whistle now, if you're not willing to get your head out of the sand now and tell these SBC, those in these, these institutions and these seminaries to repent and, and to go away from false doctrine. And I would say that as SBC at large is, I believe, has apostatized. That's, that's my 
I believe it has, uh, and I may be more pessimistic than Tom Rush about this, but that's my personal view of how I've left, is I, I don't believe it can be salvaged just because I see my own generation, the millennials, how compromised they are, and there's, you will find very few that will stand up for truth, unfortunately, but we need those that are the faithful remnant, and that's what I'm appealing to right now. The faithful remnant needs to stand up, needs to speak out, and, and needs to declare what is biblical truth, what is heresy, stand on principles, and fight the good fight. Because we will ultimately win in the end. Uh, but right now, uh, these institutions, the SBC, the PCA, are falling away. But we need to hold strong the faithful remnant of the bride mm. of Christ. Well, it, it is better to please God than men. Absolutely. Right. You know, John, w w when we were uh, blowing the whistle when I was a student at Southeastern, and there were a number of us doing that, we had courageous men uh, who did that. And it began happening at our other seminaries as well. I mean, we, we had students at Southwestern, at uh, Southern, at New Orleans, other places that were uh, coming out and saying, this is what I'm being taught in the classroom. And that was a huge uh, part of the conservative resurgence. Uh, now, initially, when we would tell uh, other pastors what was going on, they, they wouldn't believe us. We, we got called liars. We got called every name uh, in the book. Well, one, one time, uh, a fellow student of, of, of the liberal persuasion said to me, he said, well, Tom, if you don't like the way this seminary is going, why don't you leave and go to another seminary? Well, let's think about that for a minute. Uh, I'm pastoring, you know, I'm in my seminary pastorate 30 minutes down the road from the seminary. I'm, I'm raising a family. I'm pastoring a church. I've invested my money to get my theological education there. But here's what I said. Not, not only that, I said, you need to understand something. I've been carrying an offering envelope to a Southern Baptist church since I was old enough to walk. I own this place. Mm -hmm. This is my seminary. They don't own it. I own it. The people in the pews own the seminaries. They need to take their stewardship more seriously. And that's why I'm unwilling to give up. Why would we surrender all that that we have invested, that my parents have invested. But, you know, my dad was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. My mom was a Sunday school teacher and sang in the choir. My granddaddy was a deacon. My grandmother sang in the choir. I mean, and it goes back. My great-great-granddaddy was a chaplain to the Confederate troops. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've got a heritage that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't want to give it up, John. Mm -hmm. uh, we have too much invested. Why would we hand all of this tremendous machinery that we have developed to reach the world for Christ, why would we want to let go of it? And so we've got to be, we've got to start listening to the terminology. And one of the terms, uh, you know, Russell pointed out that it's not just the critical race theory, and, and, and Forrest has mentioned that, but it's the terminology. We've got to be very careful when we start changing the terminology. So now uh, what we have is soft complementarians. Now, what that's just another word for egalitarian. Right. There's no such thing as a soft complementarian. Either you are or you are not. And, and, and listen, either you believe the book, either you believe the Word of God, or you don't. You know, we Baptists used to have some, some great statements, and one of them was, you know, we're a people of the book. We believe in the Bible, the blood, and the blessed hope. And John, that's where we've got to go back. 
Amen. Well, good, good word uh, for sure. And uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. We only have a few more minutes. Uh, any really quick final thoughts? I know, Dr. Furler, you haven't spoken in a while. Do you have a quick final thought? You know, I think, and I'll say this, um, I think 99% of the students, the faculty, the administrations of these seminaries and our Southern Baptist institutions, <clears throat> they know what's going on. They know the truth. The truth is right there. They have a conscience. They know what's going on. And um, they're going against their conscience. They go, they're going against the truth and they know it. And um, it's a very sad thing. They'll sign statements of faith as if they believe the, every word in the Bible, but they'll, they'll sign these statements of faith. <clears throat> but yet just signing a statement of faith is not a safeguard against what we've seen, not only in this generation, but in past generations. Right. And so what we need is, again, we need the, the grassroots Southern Baptists to once again come together and say, what do we want to be as a denomination? Is this who we are? And I don't think so. And I think if we get together um, and understand the issues as Tom Rush has laid them out and has described, <clears throat> I look forward to a second conservative resurgency. I hope we have it. I really do. But it's going to take, first and foremost, uh, God to once again pour out a spirit of grace and supplication upon us because we can't do it ourselves. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate it, uh, Forrest, Dr. Fuller, Dr. Rush, uh, for being brave enough to talk about this with each other and with me. Uh, if anyone who's watching this wants more information, like I said, go to the info section. I got videos there from all three of these men and Jacob Johnson, who wasn't able uh, to join us. Uh, he has some whistleblowing material on NAM, and his video is linked there. You can also see one other link. Uh, to the Conservative Baptist Network. It is in the info section. If you're in the Southern Baptist Convention, you like your church, you don't want to leave the convention, you'd like to try to take it back, that's the network that you probably need to be part of. Uh, in fact, it's not even a probably, you just you need to go join it. Absolutely. Uh, so um, that's my encouragement uh, to you. And um, wherever you are, whether you're Southern Baptist or not, though, uh, please stay faithful and try to please God, not men. Uh, men cannot do a thing to your soul. Uh, so, did you say something, Dr. Fuller? John, can I say this one more thing real quick? Yes. Can, uh, remember, as a Southern Baptist, when you give money, you can designate funds at your church or where you want it to go to. If you don't want it to go to Russell Moore, the RLC, you can designate the funds, you know, the right way. Uh, and so be uh, if you see the problems, remember, you can designate the way you give funds to your local okay. church. Yeah, that's a good final point there. Hey, I appreciate all three of you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, John. Bless. And before God I go, you. I'll just say one, one last thing. 30 um, seconds. <laughs> yes, 30 seconds. Uh, I truly believe that there are people in these institutions, leaders that are not brothers in Christ. I don't say that um, uh, with joy or glee. But we need to call people repentance, and we need to fellowship with true brothers and disfellowship with false believers that are running our entities. All so, right, I appreciate it. Amen. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. God bless, guys. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.